Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. We've got Congressman Andy Barr joining us, our host Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Okay, we'll get right into it. There's an ongoing uh, thing back and forth. I've heard a few things here. Heard an interview with uh, Tommy Tuberville, the senator, the other day uh, with Sean Hannity. But in this ongoing debt limit uh, negotiation, it appears that the Senate is is kind of MIA on this thing and that it's the, the, the negotiation is really between Kevin McCarthy and the Biden administration. And um, this is what I've heard. We have our Congressman Andy Barr on the line right now to, to set us straight on this whole thing. Well, the problem, Tom, is that, uh, and, and by the way, thanks for having me on the program again, uh, but the problem is that there's not a negotiation right now. The president uh, is and has been missing in action uh, for the entirety of this year with respect to the debt limit. Uh, he is sleepwalking the country into a crisis, and he needs to wake up. Republicans in the majority in the House, we've done our job. We have passed a bill that would uh, enable the country not only to avoid short-term default, but would put the country on a more responsible fiscal trajectory. It's a common-sense, reasonable proposal. It's called the Limit, Save, and Grow Act. Uh, It would cut $4.8 trillion. It would end the Washington spending spree uh, that has produced 40-year high inflation uh, that has uh, resulted in a dramatic rise in interest rates uh, and that has produced an instability in the banking sector. Uh, and it would put us on a more fiscally responsible path, capping spending at fiscal year 2022 levels uh, with a 1% uh, increase per year for 10 years. Uh, that's imminently reasonable. Uh, and it would uh, claw back uh, unspent COVID funds. Uh, it would block President Biden's uh, very expensive student loan giveaway, which disadvantages the 83 or 87% of Americans who don't have student loans uh, and who shouldn't be put in the position of subsidizing uh, wealthy uh, graduates of Ivy League institutions who have racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that they cannot repay. Uh, And uh, it would unleash American energy. It would uh, roll back uh, the Biden IRS army that he has uh, spent $80 billion to... uh, to, to uh, arm with uh, uh, auditors and others coming after innocent American taxpayers. Um, uh, it would, uh, it would uh, 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 roll back and repeal many of the Green New Deal tax credits uh, that would increase our dependence on foreign sources of critical minerals uh, for electric batteries that are not in demand by the American people. Uh, so it does a lot of common sense things that puts us on a responsible course. And look, we get it that the president says he won't sign that bill, but this is where the negotiations need uh, to, to, to be. The negotiation, if you want to, if, if you want to actually deal with our debt crisis, you got to sit down and negotiate. We have passed a bill. Uh, now it's time for the president to engage and, and negotiate a package that could pass both the House and the Senate. There's a reason why the Senate is really more on the sidelines, Tom, and that's because 
nothing is going to pass both the House and the Senate without an agreement between the Speaker of the House negotiating on behalf of House Republicans and President Biden, who is negotiating on behalf of Senate Democrats and the administration. And so that's why this negotiation has to be between the Speaker and the President. And and that's why the President needs to actually do the adult thing and sit down and, and, and have a conversation with the Speaker of the House. You know, let me make one. Let me, what I it make reminds one final, me, final point. one of the things that I want to say this. This reminds me very much of the investment business because in our business we have salesmen, and these are guys that the the big firms have out there selling stocks and bonds. These guys are good salespeople. They don't know anything about finances. Then you have people who have familiarity with economics, with how debts get paid, with how cash flows work, with how uh, revenue streams work, with how uh, all financing is. Really, quite frankly, both houses of Congress in many cases are full of salesmen. These are people, and then this would apply to Joe uh, Joe Biden also. These are people that know how to get elected, they know how to count votes, they know how to do these things and that that kind of thing, but they have no familiarity at all with finance. And I do believe that most of Washington is clueless about how the, 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 the government is actually financed, about how the bond markets work. They've just taken it for granted and they feel like they should be able to spend anything they want to spend. They have no idea about about what it really takes to balance any kind of budget. So you're dealing with people for whom this is really kind of foreign stuff. Well, the the final point that I wanted to make is that um, the full faith and credit of the United States is not at risk just in the short term with this particular debt limit negotiation. The full faith and credit of the United States is at risk because of Washington spending spree, and um, uh, uh, and uh, members of Congress immorally stealing from future generations year after year after year, and uh, and just putting it on the credit card. The the analogy here is uh, a a reckless and irresponsible teenager with a credit card that re- that maxes out the credit card, spends money he doesn't have on things, frankly, he doesn't need in many cases. He maxes out the credit card. He goes to the credit card company, asks for an increase in the credit limit. The credit card uh, company does that without uh, the teenager's permission. Uh, and then he maxes it out again. And now, now the credit card company is not going to raise the credit limit. So he goes to his parents, who did not consent to all of this spending, and says, you all are being reckless and dangerous for not giving me a new credit card. What the parents are doing in this analogy are saying, look, we're going to pay the credit card, son, but we are not just going to give you a brand new credit card with no restraint. We are going to change the way you spend money you don't have. In this analogy, the Republicans are the responsible parent. And the Democrats and the Biden administration are the reckless and irresponsible teenager. We're not just going to give the reckless and irresponsible teenager another credit card. We're going to, of course, avoid a default, 
but we're going to do so by reforming the spending habits of the reckless and irresponsible teenager. And that is a reasonable uh, condition that we are asking the Democrats to agree with. Uh, we, of course, are going to avoid default, but the full faith and credit of the United States is not just at risk related to avoiding default in the short term. It's about global demand for U.S. Treasury securities. And the more our debt to GDP uh, becomes out of whack and the more debt we incur, we're at $31.7 trillion and, and our debt exceeds our entire economy, the more that continues to move in an unsustainable direction, the more expensive our debt will be in global uh, uh, financial markets. So uh, the full faith and credit is on the line in the term, but it's also on the line in the medium and long term. That's why we need to stop the spending spree and get our fiscal house in order and start living within our means. Well, okay. When you use that word full faith and credit, and I've used it for my 45-year career, what you're really referring to nowadays is not does the does the U.S. have the money to pay back its debt. It will never pay back all its debt. $31 trillion, that's never going to get paid back. The full faith and credit, all that really refers to now is the ability of the U.S. Treasury to roll over maturing debt and for the world to pretend that somehow there is some big country behind all this debt. What it, it, It's a charade in many ways to begin with because all we're doing is rolling over our debt. We're not actually on any kind of trajectory of paying it down. And all that you're doing is slowing the increase of it and attempting to do this in this bill. There's nobody in Washington that's really talking at this point about actually balancing the budget. That is a, that is a, that didn't happen really since the, the Clinton administration and Trump sure didn't that, do it. Trump, that, well, no, that's actually not, not true with all respect the, House Republicans are producing a budget as we speak that puts the country on a path to a balanced budget. It, it, and that is a separate uh, exercise than what we're doing with the debt limit. Right and now. let's but explain. Jody, let's explain briefly what we mean when we say balancing the budget. You give your take. I'll give me mine. Well, a balanced budget means that in one fiscal year, the uh, the outlays of the federal government. Uh, are equal to or less than the revenues that are generated. That's a balanced budget. And it means you do not incur a deficit, which is then added on to the, the, the cumulative deficits over time. Which And, is and the when's the last time, debt. Andy, that we balanced the budget in constant dollars? Using uh, I believe it was 1997 or 1998 yeah. was the last time there was a balanced budget, the late 1990s. It was a it was the product of bipartisan deal between uh, Speaker Newt Gingrich and that Republican Congress and a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, that actually uh, made the fiscal reforms, passed tax cuts that grew the economy to swell revenue uh, that resulted in a balanced budget. And that, that's an important point, too. It's not just about fiscal restraints and spending cuts and uh, tightening your belt. It's about economic growth. 
to produce taxpayers that uh, generate the revenue to operate the government. So, it, it, it you know balancing a budget is not just about uh, about uh, you know balancing revenues and spending. It's also about uh, producing GDP, productivity, economic growth uh, that that is necessary to sustain the it ha- operation. It, it of has the to be because the only way. See, the thing is, you cannot have a balanced budget that some of the balancing act is filled in by borrowings. In other words, it has to be balanced to where tax revenues are equal to outgoes. And with the trajectory that Social Security is on, with the trajectory that so many of these items are on that you can't do anything about in Congress unless you totally change the legislation, I don't see how we're ever going to get back to a balanced budget at this point. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. You're trying to cut discretionary spending, which is that's the only thing you can cut at this point because the other stuff is clad in stone. And how you get to a balanced budget with that stuff, I'd like to know how that's ever going to happen. Well, it's a really good point, Tom, because um, you're right. The the overwhelming majority of federal spending is uh, so-called mandatory spending, uh, spending that happens automatically based on statutory formulas. And unless you change those statutory formulas, that money is automatically automatically spent in the form of transfer payments, entitlement payments, Social Security, Medicare, and the like some veteran benefits, um, and they're based on statutory formulas. Um, the amount of money that we spend every year on mandatory autopilot spending is, gosh, it's now around 70% of all federal outlays, um, and uh, only about 30%, $1.4 trillion approximately, of uh, spending every year is uh, discretionary spending, both uh, defense and non-defense discretionary spending equals about $1.4 trillion. The rest of the spending is, again, mandatory spending. By the way, what is an, another component of mandatory spending besides Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and, and some veterans' benefits? Interest. Interest on the national debt is mandatory spending. Uh, we don't have a choice but to pay the interest on the debt if, in order to avoid defaulting or, for, or honoring the full faith and credit of the United States. And who who are the creditors we're talking about? Who owns the bonds? Well, it's a variety of different actors and participants in the treasury market. It includes, of course, pu- the public held by the debt is includes many Americans who own treasuries. It includes the uh, uh, participants in the financial markets, insurance companies, pension funds, uh, banks, uh, um, um, uh, investment firms, asset management firms. Uh, but it also includes some foreign, uh, uh, foreign holders of our debt. So foreign countries also buy our debt. And a, a lot of Americans don't know mechanically how this works, but there is a very obscure agency within the U.S. Department of Treasury called the Bureau of Fiscal Service. They used to call it the Bureau of Public Debt, but I, I think, um, uh, I think it was the Obama administration thought that was a negative, uh, had a negative connotation. So they changed the name to the Bureau of Fiscal Service because they thought that sounded better. 
But basically what this agency does is auction off U.S. Treasury uh, bills and bonds and, and, and does it uh, on, a, on a daily basis, we, you know, weekly, and it issues enough debt to, that, that it forecasts it's going to need in order to cover the bills that are going out the door. And there are accredited investors, uh, large banks, uh, global banks that are accredited, and they purchase our debt at an auction every day in the in the U.S. Treasury market. And right. um, we've never had a situation where there is not enough demand to buy the debt that the Treasury Department issues, but that becomes that 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 becomes a more risky proposition when our debt. Uh, exceeds the entire size of our economy because we become a, a greater credit risk. Yeah, and see, that's the thing that you just pointed out that I think is very important to note is that money coming into the Treasury, there's actually more money coming in, I would argue, from the debt markets than there is coming in from tax receipts. And I'd, I'd be interested in seeing, you know, the breakdown on that. How much of it are we having to borrow? In other words, to we, we on a cash flow basis, our government is way over what it can be and, and, and should be. We're not producing near the revenues from tax revenues that it takes to really run the government. In other words, if we can't keep borrowing, we won't be able to do that 70% of that stuff that you say, and that bill keeps getting bigger each year. We're not going to be able to do that without being well, able to. To answer, to answer your question, in 2022, the federal budget deficit was $1.4 trillion. That had to be that, closed by borrowings. That's exactly right. In other words, uh, the Bureau of Public Service of fiscal service was was required to issue enough U.S. Treasury debt uh, to cover that gap between revenues and outlays, the receipts and outlays, and that was a $1.4 trillion delta. So that's how much debt we had to issue in order to cover our bills. And, you know, when you do that every year, it, it, it adds up pretty quickly. Now you want you can't say stop that. you can't say this politically. You won't go anywhere near this statement because everybody calls it the third rail and they don't want to touch it because they're afraid your opponent in your next election will use it against you. He wants to cut Social Security. He wants to cut Medicare. If those programs are not dealt with at some point by somebody that's got political kahunas they will bankrupt the company country. It doesn't matter what you do on the discretionary spending side. It's these entitlement programs that have to be addressed. Well, I've been saying, look, I've been saying this since I first ran for Congress. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think um, uh, federal officials who actually speak the truth are doing a disservice to the American people. You're exactly right. But it um, is, man, you got to admit, it is considered the third rail. It's considered. Well, look, but here's the, here's the reality. The reality is that um, reforming Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid is not cuts. It is saving the programs. If you don't, if, if we keep putting our head in the sand and fix 
Social Security will be there for future generations of Americans just by doing nothing. That's wrong. The, the way to save Social Security and Medicare, not just for current retirees, but for future generations of Americans, is to reform those programs to make them sustainable. And, um, and so, yes, mandatory spending is the bulk of the autopilot spending. Uh, you know, the longer we wait and delay to reform mandatory spending programs, the more difficult it will be. The goal is to be able to reform them now or sooner rather than later so that there are so that current recipients of those programs don't experience any cuts or changes substantially, but that um, that future generations of Americans will be able to to have those programs. It's a promise. It's a promise. Uh, these are taxpayers, and they've been promised retirement security. Uh, and if we don't reform those programs, it will be a broken promise to future generations of Americans. Andy, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the hey, Tom Dupree to Show with, with Congressman Andy Barr. We will be back in just a few minutes with the third hour. The second oh. segment of the third hour. Stay tuned. My name is Tom Dupree. Without a plan, you're doomed to failure. Many people have no idea how they plan to tap their retirement investments for income during retirement. At Dupree Financial Group, we specialize in retirement investing. That means turning your growth portfolio or your IRA into an income portfolio. You may need to draw on it for a lot of years. Come in and let us review your plan and give you some ideas. Call us at 859-233-0400 and set up a complimentary appointment to review your investments. Listen to the Tom Dupree Show at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at DupreeFinancial.com. Picture every move that a man could make Getting lost in her love 
your first mistake Sundown, you better take care If I find you've been creeping round my back stairs Sometimes I think it's a sin When I feel like I'm winning when I'm losing again Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for the second half of the third hour. Joining us is our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. I want to kind of take off on what our congressman was talking about, the debt limit, the um, and the predicament in which we find ourselves in this government. And and I'm looking at uh, a a chart which shows interest rates over the last 5,000 years. And they've had fluctuations, but for the most part, they were in kind of a trading range. Then, as you move forward, uh, you see in the late 70s, early 80s, 1980s, they shot higher, way higher. This is on government-type securities than we'd ever seen in human history. We saw interest rates go to highs far greater than ever before in the history of mankind. Recorded history, that is. Then, in the next 40 years, we saw interest rates get lower than they'd ever gotten in the history of mankind. The question is, what was going on and has been? I'm going to give you some of my thoughts on this matter. I think we are in an unprecedented period in human history. For the 5,000 years prior to, say, 1970 or 73, whenever it was, I think it was 73, when we went off the gold standard, money, the thing that we called money, was actually tied to something of value. So if you were going to use money, money would have a value that was defined by something that was physical. It might be agricultural, could have to do with energy. 
It could have to do with a precious metal like gold or silver. It could have to do with uh, slaves. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. At one time in human history, slaves were considered a possession. Cattle. Anything that could have a measurable value could be a backing for or a type of currency. As our economy began to get more sophisticated and more developed over the years, it became more cumbersome to use solid objects as a form of currency. And I would argue that the first step in sort of virtualizing the currency was the introduction of paper money. Now, not coins, because coins could be made out of precious metals. But right here in my hand, I have some dollar bills. And really, they're paper. They don't have any value other than what is said on it. I mean, the paper that I'm holding, the cost of this paper is probably pennies, if even that. But I'm holding in my hand about $1,100 worth of currency. Why am I doing that? Because I'm going to go to the Derby, and I need some betting money. And I'm, I guarantee you I won't bet that much money, but I want to act like I can. The point is that I'm trying to make is that is virtual currency. That was the beginning of us sliding towards something else. Now, it used to be that that currency had behind it gold. So when... You would have a dollar bill or a five or a 10 or 15 or a hundred. You know that somewhere in some bank, there was X amount of gold on deposit in order to back your currency. Today, as a result of getting off the gold standard in the early seventies, there is no backing for the currency. So all that really occurs at the government level is the promise not to repay anything because there's nothing, there's no debt, but the promise to keep rolling over treasury bonds. If the U.S. can no longer roll over bonds to pay their debt, you might as well take your dollar bills and throw them out in the street. Now, people won't realize that immediately, but the whole thing is built on a fantasy. The only way it ever goes back in the other direction is to begin to rebuild the currency around something 
of solid value. We have had a bad experiment that's gone on for far too long. Interestingly, what has coincided with this debasement of our currency has also been a debasement of our morals in our country. Thinking that a man can marry another man, thinking that you can convert yourself from one sex to another, thinking that sex with anybody and everybody is okay, thinking that something that is said doesn't really mean what it's said, that words themselves can be manipulated and made into something other than what they mean or made to mean nothing at all. These things have all coincided with a decline in the currency because now the currency, which used to stand for something, it doesn't. It's just been a general abandonment of anything that could be considered of hard and lasting value. Now, what do we do as a result of this? Well, what I was told by people I trust and have believed in over the years is if you screw up, go back to where you got off track. That's a helpful thing to do. You have to go back to where you screwed up and started doing things the wrong way. In the case of our country, you've got to go back to making the currency stand for something. Now, that's not going to be easy because you're going to have a lot of people opposing you on that, but I don't see any other way other than to do that. Do you agree with me? Your currency discussions are always, I do not, I, I am not well-versed or well-schooled on a lot of financial issues. And you know how to spend I'm, money, I, don't you? I, yeah, apparently, according to you, yeah, apparently so. But <laughs> one of the things that I do love about this show is that you talk in simple terms so that someone any, any idiot can, can understand it, right? Oh, is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, continue with your tutorial. No, uh, no I'm not saying it. I don't mean it that way. I'm trying. I'm being a jerk about it. The point it, that I'm trying to make is we don't have inflation because the price of stuff's going up. We have inflation because the value of the currency keeps going down. That's why you have inflation. You can't. And, and so if you don't want to be paying $90,000 for a hamburger in another 50 years, you have to get a handle on the currency and you have to go back to where you screwed up and got off the path. Well, I also it's just that simple. Oh, dear. So one of the things that um Don't you agree? I mean I would, have, would, I would have you noticed, not agree with that? I, I mean, have noticed in 
doing simple things like maintaining a house is it seems like the inflation narrative is self-perpetuating as well. Say the plumber, his expenses are going up. Right. And he's got to pass that and charge. And he's got to pass that charge along. And for example, for a while when gasoline was so expensive, everyone raised their prices because it was they put a trip charge on your bill or they And they never rolled their thing and back. And they never took it back <laughs> when when the price of gasoline went down. So in some ways I think that that prices are increasing by businesses sort of taking advantage of the situation. Okay, now well, you're, that's well. kind of the Democrats' narrative, that it's price Uh-oh. gouging. Uh-oh. It, it, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but... I think there's also a freak-out factor. I mean, We haven't raised our prices. We didn't go from charging X percent to manage money to X plus 30 percent. We haven't done that. We're not going to do it. I mean, we're still at the same thing we were. And the bottom line is nobody is better off in inflation. Everybody takes a hit. Everybody. And it pinches everybody. I don't care how wealthy you are or whatever. Now, I'm going to just do a blatant ad for us. We try to invest in things that the value of it is what it is apart from money. Oil, for instance, it has a value apart from money. Now, it does get affected by the economy. If the economy is expected to slow down, the price of oil is going to go lower. It's probably going to happen. So the, the point is, just because you invest in things that are not necessarily part of money or set by money, it doesn't mean they can't drop in value when, uh, when things occur in the marketplace. But if you only invest, say in bonds, you're only going to get what a money rate pays you. You're not going to be attached to something that's separate from and apart from money. What are some things? Okay, let's let me ask you this, and I'll try to make it simple. Oh my! <laughs> I like simple. I'm, I, the simple makes me very happy. So, ask me a simple question. <laughs> what are some? What are some things? Experiences that you've had, things you've known, people, pets that cannot be expressed in monetary terms? Well, I mean, the children are expensive, but they can't be, the value of them in your life cannot be put into a monetary term. Experiences, what about a dog? Experiences, travel is expensive, but the value of it to your memory is you can't put a value on it. There are lots of, of well, and most about, of it is an emotional attachment to something that you can't put a value What about gas on. in a car? I mean, you know, being able to go from point A to point B. Well, it's not always an economic thing. Electricity is, is, is something that um, 
when you lose electricity, it's creature comforts. Well, it's a quality of life it's issue. It's a quality of life thing. Okay, so the truth is most everything about life that makes it life, you don't describe it in dollar terms. Well, and the old saying, money can't buy happiness. Is, it also can't buy life. It, it, it's You it, live life, and money helps fund it expedite what you have to do but the truth is it's not about only just about money although although we do try to help people so that they have money to enjoy their retirement because so they can enjoy the things that money can't buy well and and another thing is is a lot of times money cannot buy good health and when people lose their mental, physical, spiritual, moral, all of it, any of that. So the truth, the truth of the matter is money is a medium of transfer. It is a thing that enables transactions to take place, but it isn't an end in and of itself. But if you remove the value of money or you make it like hitting a moving target, you make the ability to price what you need for this and for that more difficult, and you're finally going to make it harder to get these things at a reasonable price. A lot of people will go out of business because they can't charge what they need to charge to do what they're doing. And I don't know the answer oh, to Lord, it. Oh, Lord, you're making yourself I'm tired. I'm boring myself to death. <laughs> I don't know the answer to it. The only thing I can tell you is we do have a problem. Here's what I really believe the answer is. We have to pray and we have to repent of doing things the wrong way. I talked about it earlier in this show. You turn away from evil and you turn towards good. You you you, you talked about that in the first hour. Yeah. And you have to get away from being a person who only thinks about his or herself, you have to look at the big picture and be willing to do that. Well, and, and at Dupree Financial Group, one of the things that we do is we do help people to, um, and we, since we are fiduciaries, our, we're, our, we're aligned with our customer's interest, and we do take ourselves out of, everything but what is best for the customer which is the point of the tom dupree show essentially in addition to all the vast knowledge that tom shares on these shows which i am married to him but i marvel all the time at his knowledge about different subjects (laughs) it's it's really you do that when you tell him on the radio well you know what what Believe is it? Me. Blind squirrel no, finds no, an acorn no every bri- once in a while. Hey, no, no brilliant observation goes unpunished. Yeah, well. All right, so my music was on the backside. See, when I start talking, I can't push my buttons quite as effectively. I haven't, I haven't mastered that. Anyhow, you've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show. Elizabeth Dupree sitting in today chirping a little bit more than usual. Yeah, you really you you you, you called me out. To, I had you to step up, up to the plate. Yeah, on this. well, you started yawning, and there wasn't much room. I mean, I had to. I was 
Fill a little air. I was bored with my own talk. Hey, give us a call, 859-233-0400 if you'd like to come see us and let us take a look at your portfolio. It's complimentary as usual. You can also schedule an appointment with us directly on our homepage of the website at dupreefinancial.com. Tom always loves to hear input from listeners. Email in tdupree at dupreefinancial.com. good. We appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Amen. Hallelujah.